Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the August 1992 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. Paul Revere, The Man Before That Midnight Ride, by Edward A. Gaskins, Jr., 32nd Degree. Actually, it starts with this, which many of you may have heard. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. And the article. If the verse above sounds familiar, it should. This is the opening stanza of the poem, Paul Revere's Ride, made famous by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in his book, Tales of a Wayside Inn, 1863. Paul Revere was born to Paul and Deborah Revere on January 1st, 1735, the third of 12 children. As a young man, Paul followed in his father's footsteps as a gold and silversmith. His exquisite works and designs can be traced back to his apprenticeship when he was taught by a master craftsman named John Tylston. Paul's earliest works were done in copper, and he later invented a process used in treating copper that enabled the metal to be hammered and rolled while it was still hot. This proved to be of great value to the infant country's shipbuilding industry. In 1757, at the age of 22, Paul married Sarah Orne of Boston. After 16 years of marriage and eight children, Sarah died, leaving Paul a widower with a large family. At the same time, a growing business and political events were engrossing his attention. Shortly after Sarah's death, Paul remarried, this time to Rachel Walker, who was 10 years his junior. They also had eight children. Paul became interested in masonry during his first marriage. He was made a Mason on September 4, 1760 in St. Andrew's Lodge, chartered under the Grand Lodge of Scotland on November 30, 1756. He became master of his lodge in 1770. Fourteen years later, he and 22 other members voted to withdraw from their original lodge. A new and separate St. Andrew's Lodge was formed in February 1784 under the charter of the Massachusetts Grand Lodge. Paul was elected treasurer at the time of its formation. Later that same year, however, the lodge voted to change its name to Rising States. There is a lodge with that name still functioning today. Paul Revere is credited with hand-making the officer's jewels for the lodge. He later served as the Grand Master of Massachusetts for three consecutive years, 1795, 1796, and 1797. During this time, he assisted Governor Samuel Adams, past Grand Master, in laying the cornerstone of the Massachusetts State House on July 4, 1795. Paul's political and military career began in 1773. On the evening of December 16th of that year, a group of colonial patriots disguised as Mohawk Indians boarded some ships docked in the Boston Harbor and destroyed 342 chests of tea. Many historians believe that the Freemasons of Boston undoubtedly had a part in the destruction of the tea cargo. The records of St. Andrew's Lodge show that on November 30, 1773, the night of the annual election of lodge officers, only seven members were present. 
No election was held for that reason. It is also believed a lodge meeting was held the night of the tea party, but ended unusually early. Although these facts present nothing more than circumstantial evidence of Masonry's involvement in the Boston Tea Party, many believe that some or all of the men involved were Masons. Others contend that none were Masons. The Indians may simply have been concerned citizens firmly determined to take what they considered a patriotic action. There is no proof of Masonic involvement, only coincidental details that can be interpreted to suggest Masons were part of this historic act. We are all aware, generally, of that famous ride in 1775, but few know the details of that famous night. On the evening of April 18, 1775, Dr. Joseph Warren, who was then Provincial Grand Master of the Massachusetts Grand Lodge, and who gave his own life at the Battle of Bunker Hill two months later, learned the British troops were gathering in Boston. Fearing for the lives of two brother Masons and dear friends, Samuel Adams and John Hancock, brother and General Joseph Warren sent for Paul to go to Lexington and warn these men. Paul had just been in Lexington a few days earlier and knew of the difficulties that lay ahead. This is where the now-famous lantern signals come into the picture and also where historical accuracy has recently been challenged. Most history books give credit to Robert Newman, a church sexton, for hanging out the lanterns, but would Brevere have relied on anyone other than a trusted friend, or better yet, a brother Mason for such a serious task? Some historians now believe that Captain John Pulling Jr. went to Newman for the keys and that he himself went to the church and hung out the correct signal. Brother Pulling was made a Mason in Marblehead Lodge, and he was later affiliated with St. Andrew's Lodge. In April 1776, Paul was commissioned a lieutenant colonel of artillery in a regiment raised for the defense of the town and harbor of Boston. His duties and services later earned him the rank of colonel. During 1776, gunpowder was manufactured in Boston, and Paul oversaw the casting of cannons to use it. Also, Paul's expertise in copper landed him a $10,000 loan for his business from the fledgling American government, which was to be repaid with finished strips of copper sheeting. This was used in everything from building copper boilers for Robert Fulton's steam engines to covering the bottom of the frigate USS Constitution, better known as Old Ironsides. In his final years, Paul Revere found domestic life especially peaceful and happy. However, losing Rachel, his second wife of 39 years, who died on June 26, 1813, left him a tired and lonely man. On May 10, 1818, at age 83, five years after his wife's death, Paul Revere passed away. He was interned in Granary Burial Grounds in Boston, a short distance from where his dear friends and Masonic brothers Samuel Adams and John Hancock are buried. Brother Revere was a man whose acts have made an immortal contribution to America. The following article is from the Freemasons for Dummies blogspot.com website and is on Paul Revere. This is from uh, Thursday, April 18th, 2019. By sheer accident, I'm in Massachusetts this week, south of Boston in Middleborough, and this happens to be the 244th anniversary of the famous ride of Brother Paul Revere. In popular culture, and what passes for history these days, Paul Revere's role in the American Revolution has been reduced to a town crier on horseback, albeit a romantic one. Paul Revere, a well-known silversmith, would become immortalized for his nighttime ride as the messenger proclaiming the approach of British troops at Lexington and Concord in April of 1775, when he and fellow Freemason, William Dawes, succeeded in warning the local militias. 
Longfellow's legendary telling aside, author David Hackett Fisher's 1994 book, Paul Revere's Ride, has gone a long way to place him in a much more important position than just Brown Beauty's screaming jockey. He was a large, burly man and hardly had the appearance of an artisan skilled in silversmithing and engraving. Paul Revere first came to the attention of British authorities and the general public back in 1765 when he began to engrave and publish pro-dissident political drawings and cartoons. In 1770, he created a notorious and largely fictitious engraving dramatizing the so-called Boston Massacre that demonized British troops as murderers of Boston citizens and proudly signed his name to the work. The famous work cemented the image of English tyranny in the minds of colonists. Revere was a central figure in all the many pro-revolutionary groups that met at the Green Dragon Tavern, famed meeting place of Boston's Lodge of St. Andrews in 1773. Revere was one of the ringleaders of the Boston Tea Party, along with Dr. Charles Warren, as members of the North End Caucus. He would serve the Lodge as its forceful master in 1770 and 71, and then 1779, and again for 1780 through 82. In 1775, Paul Revere was the senior grand deacon in the St. Andrew's Grand Lodge officer's line and Dr. Joseph Warren's right-hand man. When the word came in from all over Boston that the British troops were assembling a small fleet of longboats on April 18, 1775, Warren, the Sons of Liberty, and the St. Andrew's members all knew British General Cage's troops would be on the move. The events of April 18th and 19th are the shared folklore of America. Revere and fellow Mason William Dawes were dispatched to alert Lexington and Concord to the impending arrival of the British regulars and to warn Brother Mason, John Hancock, Sam Adams, and other members of the Massachusetts Provincial Congress that they were being hunted. The one-if-by-land lantern that was hung at the steeple of the Old North Church was placed there by Church Sexton Robert Newman, who would go on to join Boston's St. John's Lodge in 1783 and then St. Andrew's Royal Arch Chapter in 1794. The long-attributed claim that Revere hollered the British are coming is inaccurate, since technically at the time the Massachusetts colonists were mostly British. His warning was more accurately that the regulars are coming out. Revere's mission took him through Charleston and across the Charles River, then onward toward Lexington dodging British Army patrols and alerting patriots all along the route. At Lexington, Revere and Dawes met up with Dr. Samuel Prescott and headed out to warn Concord, where Patriots were storing a large cache of weapons and gunpowder. At Medford, Revere was briefly captured by a patrol of British soldiers. Some say he talked his way out of being arrested or shot, but Masonic folklore claims that he gave a Masonic sign and was released by soldiers who were brethren. Revere managed to make it to Woburn, but Dawes was also detained. Prescott managed to get all the way to Concord and completed the missions. Adams and Hancock were successfully warned and hid out in Burlington, escaping arrest. April 19th brought the shot heard round the world and the official beginning of the American Revolution, which is another story for another time. Paul Revere would serve the Patriot cause throughout the war, and he tried his hand as a military commander. After the British evacuated Boston, a regiment of artillery was raised, of which Paul Revere was made major. Among other things, he restored the cannon to usefulness which the British had put out of commission. Later, in 1776, he was made lieutenant colonel and remained in service throughout the war with mixed results. Later in the war, he would be the artillery commander at the humiliating Penobscot Expedition, which would go down in history as the greatest naval disaster in American history until Pearl Harbor. 
but he would continue to serve as a cannon maker and gunpowder manufacturer until the war's end, and even made anchors, spikes, sheathing, and pumps for warships like the USS Constitution. He survived the war, and he fittingly engraved the first great seal of the United States. Massachusetts Masonic Grand Lodge history before and after the Revolution is more hectic than most American states. When the Massachusetts Grand Lodge was chartered by the Grand Lodge of Scotland in 1769, with Dr. Joseph Warren as its Grand Master, the independently established Lodge of St. Andrew was a part of it. Paul Revere served as Junior Grand Warden, 1777 to 1779, Senior Grand Warden, 1780 to 83, and Deputy Grand Master, 1784-85 and 1791-92. When a union of the Massachusetts Grand Lodge and the St. John's Grand Lodge was agreed to, forming the Grand Lodge of Masons in Massachusetts in 1792, Revere was its second Grand Master from 1795 to 97. As Grand Master, he laid the cornerstone of the Massachusetts State House in Boston with Masonic ceremonies. One of the greatest treasures of the Grand Lodge AF and AM of Massachusetts is a small golden urn created by Revere that holds a lock of George Washington's hair. And then there's a photo of it in the article. The Revere Charge. While serving as Grand Master, Most Worshipful Paul Revere chartered 23 new lodges during his tenure and installed many Worshipful Masters. In that capacity, he wrote a unique charge for Masters that he delivered at those installations. It is every bit applicable today as it was 225 years ago. And it goes like this. Worshipful Master. This Worshipful Lodge, having chosen you for their master and representative, it is now incumbent upon you, diligently and upon every proper occasion, to inquire into the knowledge of your fellows and to find them daily employment, that the art which they profess may not be forgotten or neglected. You must avoid partiality, giving praise where it is due, and employing those in the most honorable part of the work who have made the greatest advancement for the encouragement of the art. You must preserve union and judge in all causes amicably and mildly, preferring peace. That the society may prosper, you must preserve the dignity of your office, requiring submission from the perverse and refractory, always acting and being guided by the principles on which your authority is founded. You must, to the extent of your power, pay a constant attendance on your lodge, that you may see how your work flourishes and your instructions are obeyed. You must take care that neither your words or actions shall render your authority to be less regarded, but that your prudent and careful behavior may set an example and give a sanction to your power. And, as brotherly love is the cement of our society, so cherish and encourage it that the brethren may be more willing to obey the dictates of Masons than you have occasion to command. And you, the officers of this worshipful lodge, must carefully assist the master in the discharge and execution of his office diffusing light and imparting knowledge to all the fellows under your care, keeping the brethren in just order and decorum, that nothing may disturb the peaceable serenity or obstruct the glorious effects of harmony and concord, and that this may be the better preserved, you must carefully inquire into the character of all candidates to this honorable society, and recommend none to the master who in your opinion are unworthy of the privileges and advantages of masonry, keeping the cynic far from the ancient fraternity, where harmony is obstructed by the superstitious and morose. You must discharge the lodge quietly, encouraging the brethren assembled to work cheerfully, that none, when dismissed, may go away dissatisfied. And you, brethren of this worshipful lodge, learn to follow the advice and instruction of your officers, submitting cheerfully to their amicable decisions, throwing by all resentments and prejudices towards each other. 
Let your chief care be to the advancement of the society you have the honor to be members of. Let there be a modest and friendly emulation among you to dig in good to each other. Let complacency and benevolency flourish among you. Let your actions be squared by the rules of masonry. Let friendship be cherished, and all advantages of that title by which we distinguish each other, that we may be brothers, not only in name, but in the full import, extent, and latitude of so glorious an appellation. Finally, my brethren, as this association has been carried on with so much unanimity and concord, in which we greatly rejoice, so may it continue to the latest ages. May your love be reciprocal and harmonious. While these principles are uniformly supported, this lodge will be an honor to masonry, an example to the world, and therefore a blessing to mankind. From this happy prospect, I rest assured of your steady perseverance, and conclude with wishing you all, my brethren, joy of your master, wardens, and other officers, and of your constitutional union as brethren. Brother Grand Secretary, it is my will and pleasure that you register this lodge in the Grand Lodge book in the order of constitutions and that you notify the same to several lodges. And the notes are that this was partially adapted from Solomon's Builders, Freemasons, Founding Fathers, and the Secrets of Washington, D.C. by Christopher L. Hodep. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.